I like to begin by taking refuge, and you're welcome to join me if you'd like. It's the way we traditionally start a Dharma talk in this tradition. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. So tonight I wanted to share a koan, uh, which is just you know, a big part of the Zen tradition, and there are, there are many different ways of working with a koan. So sometimes we share koan as a teaching story. Uh, and what's like beautiful and wonderful about koans is koans often capture a moment of awakening, a moment of realization. Um, between either a teacher and a student or a student having its their own um, epiphany or between two teachers or just between two uh, Dharma practitioners usually. Or sometimes it's between a, a rock and a person. So this koan is sometimes uh, translated as Unmin's light. Unmin is a famous teacher within the Chan Zen tradition. Uh, during the Tang Dynasty. Uh, sometimes it's translated as the kitchen pantry and the main gate. It's Blue Cliff Record Case 86. And uh, this is how it goes. Unmen imparted some words saying, everyone has a light. Everyone has a light. When you look at it, you don't see it. It's dark and dim. When you look at it, you don't see it. It's dark and dim. What is everyone's light? Everyone has a light. When you look at it, you don't see it. It's dark and dim. What is everyone's light? And then apparently nobody answered. So he said this to his assembly or the room of practitioners. And he asks this question and probably people were like, is that a rhetorical question or <laughs> are you going to answer it? And so he answers it himself. He says, the kitchen, pantry, and the main gate. And then after that, he says, a good thing isn't as good as nothing. There's some, there's some goods and um, paradoxes in there. <laughs> As a commentary, so usually a koan that's in one of the case collections, and this one's in the Blue Cliff record, which is a record of a hundred um, Zen koans, most, most from the Tang dynasty. Usually there's a commentator who assembled uh, the case, all the cases into a record, and the um, assembler uh, also collects koans from somebody, or uh, poems from somebody who is uh, commenting on them more in ancient times. And then the, the assembly, assembler, <laughs> the person who assembled the koan collection also uh, writes some commentary to the collection. So this is the original poem that was kind of written in reaction as like a pithy, uh, pithy commentary of the koan. It goes, spontaneously shining, bathed in solitary light. It is an open secret. Flowers fall, 
The tree has no shadow. Look, who does not see? Seeing, not seeing. Ride the ox backward and enter the Buddha hall. So in the commentary to this koan, um, the original story is explained a little bit more. And here's how it begins. Here's how the commentary begins. And this commentary to the Blue Cliff Record is um, commented on by Yuan Wu, who's the person who's attributed to assembling the Blue Cliff Record. He says, in his room, Yunmen imparted some words to teach people. All of you, right where you stand, each and every one of you has a beam of light shining continuously, now as of old, far removed from seeing or knowing. Though it's a light, when you're asked about it, you don't understand. Isn't it dark and dim? What is everybody's light? So it's said in the koan commentary that Yunman asked this question or said these words in, you know, either the way that more abbreviated way that I read the first time or this more elaborated way that I just read. Um, he said this many times to this room, probably with different students in it at different points in his teaching career. And finally, someone was like, you ask this all the time nobody responds what's your response and so he gave a response the kitchen pantry and the main gate so the pithy part of this koan begins with you know the statement everyone has their own light if you look for it it's dark and dim what is this light what is this light and another um Zen teaching, the, the teaching of the relative and the absolute, there's a line that says, in the light there is darkness, but do not try to understand that darkness. In the darkness there is light, but do not look for that light. So as um, we approach the solstice, as we're in the kind of heart of, of winter or pre-winter um, as the earth is darkening, this koan always slips to the surface of my mind. And it's a koan that I've worked on, uh, kept company with is another way I like to refer to working on a koan uh, for many years. And, and it slips in and out. And this is part of koan practice is that they like rise up at times for further investigation and some may rise up seasonally um, sometimes seasonally based on like when you might have worked on them or when you heard it first um, or sometimes they rise up situationally or other for other reasons like something just kind of triggers some words from a koan and suddenly you find yourself keeping company with a that word or phrase or image for a while. And one aspect of koan practice is that it's never complete. It's one of the things I love and hate about Zen. <laughs> it's never complete. You think like, oh, 
past that, I'm done, on to the next thing, and that's never the case. Each, each koan, each practice that we do, because a, a koan is just another form of, of meditation practice, a meditation practice that extends beyond the cushion, beyond just what we're doing when we're sitting meditation or lying down meditation, when we're doing formal practice. So that's one of the things I love about koans is you can carry them around. You can keep company with them as a line, as an image, as an inquiry um, beyond your meditation session. You know, sometimes it's hard to you know, keep such like attention to the breath or whatever your main practice is in meditation when you're you know, going about your daily life. But you can carry a koan in a little different way. You can just like bring the image or bring the words to the forefront of mind from time to time. Um, and it's a way of activating that koan, activating that, those questions, activating uh, the, the aspects of awakening or true nature that the koan uh, illuminates. So that's another part of koan practice is like when you've worked on a koan maybe for a few weeks or a month or a year um, and then kind of move on to another practice or another koan uh, the all of the practices or all of the koans that you've worked on like may come back and when when they rise back up not only do they rise back up as an opportunity for deeper inquiry or deeper company with the koan they also rise back up and can, you know, contain or remind us of some things that we may have seen um, before. So this quality of light, that might not be something um, that you pay attention to in your zazen. And here is this invitation to investigate light. Investigate light. And consider that everyone has their own light. As the Buddha was passing, he invited his disciples to be a lamp unto themselves. So there's another image of light, a solitary light, spontaneously shining. In the Zen tradition, instructions for our Zazen invite us to turn the light of awareness around, to turn the light to shine within. It's another way we hear or experience light within our tradition, to turn the light of attention to look within. Koan Ajo, in his treatise on luminosity, which is called the Komyozo Zanmai, which we sometimes, if you've been to the monastery, it's sometimes chanted uh, during morning service. It's on the blue sheet. At least it has been in the past. Um, and, it, and here are some lines from that beautiful treatise. He says, sitting under the open sky, weightless as a flame. Even if 84,000 thoughts come and go, each will display itself as the luminosity of perfect knowing itself. If you do not hold to them and allow them to just go on their own way. It's like one of the most powerful lines for me because we can get into such wars with our thoughts 
And here he's saying, even if 84,000 thoughts come and go, each will display itself as the luminosity of perfect knowing itself. If you do not hold to them and allow them to just go on their own way. This display of luminosity must not just be something you experience in sitting meditation, but in each step, this step, this step, are all the walking of luminosity. In this luminosity, usual people and sages, deluded and enlightened, are one. In the midst of impermanence, this luminosity is unobstructed. There's another clue to this light that Gunman might be pointing to. In the midst of change, this luminosity is unchanged. Forest, flowers, grasses, leaves, humans and animals, large or small, long or short, square or round, all display themselves simultaneously, free of discriminating thoughts or intention. This is luminosity unobstructed in impermanence. Luminosity is its own open brilliance. It does not depend on your mind. It does not even depend on your mind. Luminosity has no location. When Buddhas appear in this universe, it does not arise with them. When Buddhas cease, luminosity does not cease. When you are born, luminosity is not born. When you die, luminosity does not die. Luminosity beyond birth and death. This light, perhaps, that we all have beyond our birth and death. Buddhas do not have more of it. Sentient beings do not have less. If you are deluded, it is not. If you are enlightened, it is not. It has no rank, no form, and no name. This is the body of totality of all things. And then here's the zinger. You cannot grasp it. You cannot throw it away. It is unattainable. Although it is unattainable, it permeates this entire body, your entire body. From the highest heaven to the deepest hell, all realms are illuminated perfectly. This is wondrous and inconceivable luminosity. So that's from Koan Ajo. And it's, it's a, um, you know, a treatise definitely worth considering as we contemplate what is this light? Everyone has their own light. If we try to look for it, we don't see and this is an interesting conundrum. Hogan Roshi during Rohatsu Sashin pointed out that when we really look for something, it vanishes. And you may have had that experience in Zazen as you deepen into meditation, you deepen into, into the attention on the breath. You might touch into like, oh, actually there's the breath. There's sensations that we call breath. But if I really try to like, grab hold of or say like this is the breath right here it's already passing it's that sensation that i'm aware of 
is like if I try to look at it or examine it more, it's, it breaks apart, it disappears, I'm left kind of gazing into space. You know, similarly with body sensations or thoughts when we look directly even at the thinking mind, and this can be a really liberating way of experiencing thought, when you look back at the thinking mind and try to pin down a thought, even if the mind is busy, it's unpin-downable. You, you kind of move, look right through it, or it passes before you can pin it down. So if we look for this light, if we make it into a thing, if we try to capture it, we don't see it. Perhaps the looking and the vanishing and what is left in the vanishing are all light. The looking and the vanishing and what is left in the vanishing are all light. The light of awareness, the light of Buddha nature, the treasury of luminosity, the light of our true nature. Everyone has it, this light. And it's more intimate than perception. It shines out of our eyes. It graces every word, image, or thought. It streams through our blood vessels. It pools as our hand touches another. Each place of contact, each sound, smell, taste, touch, breath, feeling, emotion, another color, another texture of this radiant light. So this koan invites us into intimate recognition of the light of true nature. To see, know, experience the light of Buddha nature in everyone and everything. This is the aspiration of someone on the path of liberation, on the Buddha's path, on the path of awakening. When I attempt to articulate my vow, that's the words that come out. May I know the light, may I see, may I experience the light of Buddha nature in everyone and everything that I meet including myself, including all the inner experience. And what does the practice of this look like? So first it's a reminder, and this is like the foundational reminder of the Zen tradition. The light of awakened nature shines through everyone and everything. Can you let yourself trust that? Can you let that be an invitation to truly see? Is that true for you? Is that true in your experience? The light of awakened nature shines through everyone and everything. And can you study, and this is another invitation of the Zen tradition, can we study What gets in the way of seeing this light in others and in seeing our own light? Of affirming this light in everyone we meet. Is it perfectionism? Is it fear? Is it habits of distraction? Is it something else? What clouds our view? 
And what does it look like to practice seeing everyone's light? To see what is shining through before thought and projection color our experience. So that's like seeing someone's Buddha nature is seeing them as they are before our minds start judging. (laughs) And even, you know, the liberative aspect of this is we can even see judgment as the light of awareness just reflecting in the shape of judgment. No big deal. Another way of seeing or being invited into the practice of seeing everyone's light is to see each person's beauty and uniqueness. So again, that's like a more relative way of like looking beyond, you know, the stories or the judgments that the thinking mind creates and seeing like, oh, what do I actually appreciate about this person? How is this person really a unique expression of life, of divine light? What makes this person beautiful? Not in the stereotypical beautiful way, but just like their inner beauty. And then, you know, another aspect of this practice is how do I help them see it too? How do I affirm someone's light, someone's uniqueness, someone's beauty? How can I help them bring it out? It's a quality of curiosity, interest. And even to do this for the parts of ourselves. So what is the light of the inner critic? Can you see the light within anxiety or fear or greed or judgment or comparison? These things that we think get in our way from practicing or from seeing the light (laughs) in others. Which is another way of saying that is can we see the teaching or the energy of these seemingly afflictive emotions? Or can you see the light in the ordinary stuff of your life? You know, so often when we see things over and over again, we stop seeing them. Then we kind of forget what color is my carpet anyway, or these walls. And so when we really look, like, oh, wow, I didn't quite notice like the texture of that white of the wall or the brilliance in the carpet, the beauty, the complexity of colors or shade. So that's another invitation. I had this experience, I did Rohatsu online And I got to like deepen into Zazen in my home. And of course, like I, just like you, or maybe maybe not like you, maybe you have more of like a a, a ability to see things as they are. But I, I often can get into a habitual mind and stop seeing what's in front of me. And then like to get refreshed through doing retreat or doing Zazen, it's like, wow. 
I live in this beautiful place. The place didn't change. My perception did. um, One one way that that really manifested is I can have this like subtle or not so subtle, like kind of gnawing feeling about light pollution in the city and the place that we live. And during Rohatsu, it was like, oh my gosh, there's these brilliant red lights and there's these brilliant blue lights and brilliant billboard lights and it wasn't a problem anymore and so it's an interesting thing that when we really look and look beyond our judgments or the ways that we kind of numb out things there's there's a liveliness there's a light there's a light to the carpet to the mug to the wall And maybe we experience that through touch or through seeing or through hearing or through just being with. The light comes out. And for many of us, like that, that switch to being able to perceive the light within someone else or within an object within everyone and everything is a matter of switching from doing mode to being mode or from thinking mode to awareness mode or from acting upon your life to receiving your life. So that gets to the next part of the koan where Unmen's example of everyone's light is the kitchen pantry and the main gate or the main entrance. And two of the most ordinary, perhaps commonplace location on his monastery grounds. Places of receptivity, though. The pantry holds and receives, stores nourishment until it's ready to be used. Allows for the coming and going of products, of food items. In a similar way, the main entrance welcomes, receives each guest, resident, animal, truck, car, bike, who passes through. It's a reminder to let ourselves receive. I think that's a good message for this time of year, to let ourselves receive, rest, not do so much. And then he also says, A good thing isn't as good as nothing. I feel like each of the lines from this koan is an invitation to see each other's light. To the kitchen pantry and main gate, to this last phrase, they're helpful reminders um, for the holidays, for the new year, however you celebrate, whether it's with family or alone. Perhaps a good thing isn't as good as nothing is a reminder that an empty bowl can receive and a bowl that is full no longer has the ability to take in something new. Another way of saying that is the the empty space of the kitchen pantry. It's the empty space of the main gate that make them useful. When we let ourselves empty out, when we step back from thought, even just for a few breaths, we can take in the goodness, the light of this moment, this person, this gift right here. 
without trying to get it right or make it good <laughs> or hold on to what idea we have of what it would be for this moment to be good, to be really good. It's the light of awakening it shines through everyone and everything just as they are, just as we are, just as this moment is. Not just the experiences or the people or the relationships or the weather that we deem good. So perhaps another way of articulating this whole koan is, can you see the light in this, in this, in this, in this? And as challenges mount up in that, in this challenge, in this moment of disagreement, in this person who I'm disagreeing with. And that's, you know, that's a not easy practice. But a koan like this, like keeping company with a koan like this, reminds us that that's also a possibility. And that's a great friend to have. Right. I'll end there. Thank you for your attention, for the light of your attention. <laughs> and I'm cur curious if anybody has any reflections, thoughts, questions, responses. How would you have responded to Yunmun? <laughs> <laughs>